Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning. Y'all got quiet quick. It's like, what's going on? Uh, we have a technical difficulty. We're going to get that back up before we get to the message. But I do have a couple of announcements uh, before we get started this morning. Hey, tomorrow, Monday at 6.30, you know what's going on? Some of the guys know what's going on, right? Free shotguns. No, you know, that's all good. Uh, we have a, a smoker we're giving away as well. Some other several great things that we're giving away. Um, super excited. Also, really cool thing, Jim Sunberg is going to be here to share with us at 6.30. Some of you are like, who's that? He is a very well-known man of God, also a very great baseball player, played for the Rangers for a long time, also was an announcer. Uh, I think he won a World Series, didn't he? Yeah, something like that. So kind of a big deal. Um, so he's really he's a really good man. I've, I've, I know him, and he just loves God. And he's going to share his story, and it's going to be an amazing night. So bring some friends tomorrow at 6.30. Guys, come. We're going to eat some uh, dinner, do some giveaways, and, and be uh, just encouraged by the man of God, Jim uh, Sunberg. And so please come. Also on the back table back there as you leave, you can sign up to, you can register for that event. And if you sign up, what's going to happen is you get a ticket and you get, a, you get to bring a friend. So when you show up tomorrow with your friend, just say, they're with me. We'll let them in and we'll give them a ticket for the drawing as well. So it's going to be a good night. I uh, can't wait for that. And so thank you, all you men, for putting that together it's going to be amazing. Also today, maybe it's your first time here. You've been here for a long time and haven't had the opportunity to connect with us. Here's the easiest way to do this, guys. On the front of you, there's a little QR code. If you want to scan that, uh, there's several things on there as well. Some more information about the church, ways to connect. Um, but it should bring up a little tab that says connect with us. You can hit that and then you can fill out an electronic form, fill that out and get you some information about the church. Then we're going to send you a gift in the mail just for saying thank you for being here. Are we good? All right, we're back up. All right. Stalled long enough. Uh, uh, so today, I just want to open up uh, in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Father God, I thank you so much uh, for what you've done in this place already. God, I thank you for the worship this morning, God. I thank you, God, that people are connecting with you, that they are just coming face to face through love. And God, let that be in our forefront today, God. Let that be the, the method, God, that this uh, message is delivered in. God is in love. God, it's a hard message, but I pray that it, it just... Uh, it penetrates the hearts to hear and the ears to hear today, God, and the hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm talking about a hard subject today. I'm talking about confrontation. We don't like to confront, right? But there's times in our life where we have to confront. We have to approach someone for their own good, for their own benefit. And, and I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I knew I should have confronted somebody, but I did everything I could in my power to avoid the confrontation. I hate confrontation. How many of you like confrontation in here? Some of you are like, there's a couple. Uh, you're weird people. I don't get you. I'm not that person. I will go out of my way to not 
have to have the hard conversation. But one thing I do know is I'm so glad after I do because the air is clean, like things are good. And so we're going to talk about how we confront properly. And so to open this up, I have a video. This, this young lady, she's having a really hard time with her pastor. Uh, he's, he's preaching something. He's, he's saying something that's just not right. And she doesn't know what to do. And so maybe you can relate to this young girl. So you can go throw that video up if you will. Turn the volume up. Wrong one. All right, just pause that. See what happens when Karen takes a vacation? Nothing works. It's all good. To restart it. There we go. You restart. It's okay, honey. Yeah, you got this. There we go. for pastor. What do we do? Oh, man, that's blatant heresy. Uh, you know, how does she approach this guy? How does she approach her pastor? Well, you know, she said pray for him. But there's some ways that we can approach people. And things like this happen. They're, I, mean, I'm, I mean, this is lighthearted. But there's things also in our life that really damage people. And you see it in their life. And you're like, how do I address this? How do I, how do I talk to them? Maybe they've even insulted you or have offended you in some way. And they weren't aware of it. And I, I need to talk to them about this because it's just eating me up alive and it's causing disunity. And we have to talk about this. And so Jesus gives us this blueprint on how to help somebody correct their course. And today's message is called Course Correction because sometimes we need our course corrected. Sometimes we get off path and we don't know how to get back on. And it takes people to come in and move us in the right direction. As we dive into this series uh, called Better Together, we're learning how to be better together and that the church has a power when we're all unified Together, So Jesus gives us this blueprint in Matthew chapter 18. If you're going to stand with me, I'm going to read the word to you today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. He gives us this blueprint when somebody doesn't like Chick-fil-A. Here we go. Verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then he or she won't accept. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, 
My Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. This is the word. You sit in. Have a seat. So Jesus here, he's, he talks about confront, confrontation, and then he adds a couple things in. He's like, okay, do you realize that when you're together, there's power there? That when the church is functioning in unity, there's a power that's available. He says, when two or three or more and you ask, it will be done. He says, when I'm there among you, and he says, it will be loosed in heaven and bound in heaven and loosed in earth and bound. In What's he talking about? He's talking about when believers get together and pray, when believers are together in unity, there's a power that comes that moves heaven and earth. Like we are the believers, we are the Christians, we are the ones that follow Christ, and, and we are to go and spread the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. And when there's unity and when there's clarity and when we're all moving in the same direction, it's powerful, it's wonderful, and things are great. But all it takes is one small thing to derail everything. One small thing to keep us from moving in the power that God's created us to do. Because true unity can only come when there's no offense. All it takes is one offense to cause disunity. One offense to make a difference in what we're doing. How many of you have stepped into a room and there's this tenseness in it? You know there's people in the room that like just they don't like each other. And in, maybe it's like a family dinner. Thanksgiving's a good time to see this, right? We come in and the in-laws don't like the outlaws and all these things. And you're like, what do I do here? And, and there's a tenseness in here and you don't want to say anything. You're afraid to do anything because you don't want to, you know, it's a volatile situation and you don't want to light the fuse. And it can be like this even in the church. Sometimes there's things in the church, just small little things that cause disunity and cause disruption. And it's like a powder keg ready to explode. And all it takes is one word, one offense, one small undealt with sin, and the whole church explodes and not in a good way. It just takes one unchecked sinful behavior, one person's bitterness towards one another, a tiny offense that's not dealt with, and then that offense becomes fuel for a roaring fire and everybody gets burned. James says this in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. He's saying this unity of believers is so volatile, so important, that we need to understand that we need to do whatever we can to stay unified and, and to stay fluid and to stay moving in the same direction. But James says the problem becomes is when we become envious and self-seeking, confusion happens, and every evil thing are present. I've seen too many churches die because there's this present, envy and self-seeking. When you see a church die, there's somebody or a family or, or something going on in that church that there's in, they're envious of somebody else. They want the power. They want to be this. They want that to happen. Or they're self-seeking. I want what I want. I don't care what anybody else wants. And it disrupts and destroys the church. It disrupts and destroys families. It disrupts and destroys businesses where there is envy and selfish ambitions. Another passage says this, self-seeking, confusion, and every evil thing is there. The enemy occupies that territory. What he's saying there is when there's envy and where there's self-seeking, where there's disruption, where there's, where there's uh, bitterness, all these things, where there's un unconfessed sin and these things are dealt with, it becomes an open door for the enemy to walk in and do whatever he wants to do. He has, he has every, every right to destroy what God is trying to do because of your 
envy and your self-seeking or because of that person's envy or self-seeking. And if we don't deal with it, the open door gives the enemy a foothold and he can do whatever he wants. And here's how it happens. It's just a small thing, a small area. You let the enemy in a little bit, a little offense. He comes in and he begins to work like a cancer in the dark. And it starts to spread into the whole body. And then eventually the whole body's affected and the whole body dies. Eventually the whole family's affected and the whole family is sick. Eventually the whole business is sick because we left that open door. We didn't take care of the thing. We didn't confront when we needed to confront. And we didn't do the hard work and, and deal with those issues. But here's what I've learned. Those things that divide and destroy can only work in the dark. The minute you bring those things out to the light, it loses its power. The minute you bring those things out, it loses its strength and loses its power. The enemy loves to work in the dark. And so we have the opportunity, we have the responsibility, church, to bring those things out to light, to love our brothers and sisters in such a way to say, look, this isn't your best. Like God's got so much more for you. Why are you diving into this? Why are you treating me this way? Why, are, why is there a disruption between our relationship? What's going on here? How can we solve this issue? How can we work through this? We have that opportunity, and God gives us that opportunity, and Jesus tells us how to do that through his blueprint. But like I said, I don't like confrontation. And in confrontation, I'll run from it. If I, you know, used to, I'm getting better at it slowly. As a pastor, you got to get better at it. But there's people, I'm like, man, I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to talk about the situation because I know when they talk to me, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be good. And, and so I avoid them at Walmart. If you ever see me avoid you at Walmart, it's not because of this, all right? All right? So just so, you know, it's like, oh, pastor's got something against me. You know, I'm pushing my basket. I was like, oh, so-and-so, you know, you're, you do the same thing. Don't act like you don't. Because you don't want to deal with it, right? It's, it's hard. It's an uncomfortable situation. You don't want to talk to them. I hate confrontation, but it has to happen. Because here's one thing I've learned, because I am a peacemaker at heart, and I want peace, but the only true path to peace is through confrontation. You can't have peace without dealing with the situation because here's the thing I'm good at. I can stuff it down and like act like nothing's wrong, and the other person could do the same thing. And on the outside, we can coexist in the same workspace. We can work together. We can pray together. We can do all this stuff together. But the problem is inside of me is a torrent. Inside of me is a raging river. I'm full of anxiety, full of, you know, angst. I can't sleep at night. My soul is being ripped apart because there's not a peace inside of me. The only peace that can come inside of me is if I deal with the issue and confront it and bring it to light. And so we have to do that. The more I avoid something, the more it's going to eat at my soul and, the, and it's going to seep into everything. So I may have a problem with that brother, but then it causes me to have a problem with all the brothers and all in my family, and it just seeps into everything like a cancer. You have to bring it out. Confrontation is a must. But I want to tell you this. Look at me. Look when I, when I say this. Confrontation is not to call someone out. That's not what confrontation is about. Confrontation is to call people up. You confront them to call them up, to say, hey, we're better than this. You're better than this. God's got more for you than this. Why are you settling for less than what God has for you? That's what calling up is. It's not calling out saying, I, I saw you the other day there. I know what you did. I can't believe you talked to me that way. I can't believe you talked to them that way. It's, it's not a condemning tone, but a tone to help build them up and to, to call them into greater things. Our goal as a church is to encourage and to empower and to disciple and to help people become all they've created to become. 
And we can only do that when we confront and we call people up instead of call them out. All the writers of the Gospels, all the writers in the New Testament, in some way or fashion, talk about the importance of confrontation and keeping each other on track, keeping each other on the course. James writes this in James chapter 5, verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, he's saying, so if he pulls them up and calls them up, let him know that whatever, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is saying, man, you pull them out of the fire. You're like, you, you save their souls because you had the courage to confront them and to bring them back into the faith. June, Jude 22 says this, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You got to show mercy. You don't condemn them. You show them mercy, man. Their faith is weak. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, and, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Judas is saying, look, you, they have an issue. The issue is a sin issue, but just deal with the sin issue. Don't let that contaminate you. Don't let that get on you. You've got to deal with it. And Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly, who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Saying we have a responsibility to gently and humbly approach that person and help them on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and that way, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love one another, as Christ loved the church. To love one another. And if we're helping and we're confronting and we're dealing with these things, we're loving one another. There is, there is no more loving thing to do than to correct someone in the name of love. If, if I let my kids do whatever they want to do when they were little and, and hurt themselves in, in the guise of like, I don't want to offend them, I don't want to hurt their feelings then I don't love my kids. I'm like, okay, kid, go and take that fork and stick it in the socket. Because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm not going to take that away from you. But if I love my child, I'm going to tell them, look, that's not good. This is what's going to happen. You're, you know, you're going to have frizzy hair for the rest of your life. <laughs> Can't do that. But don't do that. And so the most unloving thing we can do is not tell somebody the truth. But the truth is not comfortable to say sometimes. This message is not comfortable to say sometimes. That's why I've, I've weaved a lot of humor into it, because it's, it's a hard subject to deal with confrontation, to deal with these things that tend to rip the, part, the church apart. The goal of confrontation is to restore the person into right relationship, relationship with you and relationship with God, to get them on the right path, so that they can shine for him. We were created to shine for Christ. And when we're living outside of these things, when there's, when there's sin in our life and there's uh, people we're upset with, there's unforgiveness, when we're offended, we don't shine. And God has called us to shine and to, and to lift him up and to glorify him. And so we have to be as the people of God, be able to say, hey, let me wipe some of that off. Let's, let's get you shining again. Come on, let's get you going. That's what confrontation is about. That's why we have to do this. And so how do we do this? Well, let's look at the blueprint. He says, step one, correct the person personally. Correct them personally. It says, go to them by yourself. That's so counter to what we do, right? The first thing we do is post a TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, blast the person on social media, call our friends up, talk about how that person offended us or what that person is doing. <gasps> I saw them the other day over there. 
We need to pray for them. But that's not what we're called to do. He says, go to that person, deal with that person one-on-one and, and take care of it. Do that and approach them because you love them. And when you approach them, we have to approach them in the right way. The approach determines pretty much everything. Because I can say something, I can say the truth, but it's how I say the truth that matters. And, and so Jesus is saying here, what you say matters. He reminds us this in Matthew chapter 7. And this, and this verse has been so taken out of context and been used by so many people. I've heard lots of atheists use it and people that are mad at God use it. And, and, and they say this, you know, we're going to read it, but I'm going to dispel some of this stuff. Because Jesus is not saying here that we are not to judge one another. He's not saying here that we're not supposed to help our brothers. We're not supposed to get them on the right path. He's saying, check your attitude, check your motives before you go in and try to do surgery. So Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged. Okay, this is, in, this is New King James Version, so it's a little more authoritative than, you know, some of you get the joke. It's a bad joke second time, too. So <laughs> judge not that you not be judged. For, what, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with a measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So he's saying there's like a reaping and sowing here. He's saying whatever you're going to judge with, be prepared for that to come back at you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. He's using this huge metaphor, this beautiful metaphor. He's saying, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying we have a responsibility to help our brothers, to get the speck out, but we have to make sure that we're ready and where our motives are right and our motives are true. Jesus himself judged people. I mean, if you look at the New Testament and you look at the writers, Jesus was not nice sometimes to people. He called them hypocrites just right here. He called them snakes. He called them dull. He called his disciples. Are you so dull? He called Peter, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> it's like, this is nice, loving, gentle Jesus. But he used these things. He called these Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He confronted. He had no problem confronting and telling truth. But he loved them. And that's what we need to learn. We need to love people. I don't, I don't suggest you call them hypocrites, snakes, and Satan. <laughs> but deal, you know, deal with it in love. Deal with it in love. He's saying to remove the plank in your own eye. To look at ourselves before we look to other, at other people's problems. In the context of this, if, if you see your brother sinning, you should not say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. You should say, man, they're, they're dealing with this. Is this in my life as well? Am I dealing with something? Do I need to get, is there something in my life that's not great? Because, you know, I need to check myself first. And then when I check myself, I'm like, okay, okay, this isn't a big problem in my life. Then I can go help them. I can go with pure motives in a right heart. This is called checking the sea. It's looking in the mirror and seeing if there's a log in my eye before I go talk to my neighbor. Because if there's a log in my eye, I'm not going to do surgery. I'm going to pull out stuff that doesn't need to be there. And so how do we do this? Well, we pray and we look and we ask and we seek. We say, God, is there anything in me that's, that needs to be removed? There's something in my heart that's not right. And then if there is, repent. Even when I was writing this message, I had to repent because I'm like, Lord, I don't always do this. You know, just there's people I like jokingly say things, but I just need to go talk to them. And, and I don't want to confront because I'm, it's easier just to talk to people and say, okay, what do I do about this? And so I had to repent. 
I had to come and say, Lord, help me get this log out of my eye so I can go to my brother and, and help him with this sliver. And then you pray for them. So you do self-examination, and then you pray for them. Man, you'll be surprised at how many times God just takes care of the situation for you. You know, as a pastor, there's people I got to talk to, and there's something I got to deal with. And I'm like, man, I don't want to talk to them because I know it's going to be volatile, and it's going to be hurtful, and it's, it's going to be very uncomfortable for me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I just pray that you would talk to them and, and deal with them and take care of the situation. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks will pass. They'll come in my office, say, Pastor, you know, I've been really dealing with this. God's been con can really convicting me about this, and I just need to get right. Help me get right. God takes care of it for me. And the amazing thing is it's like he loves them too. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh, he loves them too? Yeah, sometimes we dread talking to people, and God will just fight your battles for you if you let them. But sometimes he wants you to approach them, and we have to be right. We have to be ready. We have to be pure. We have to prepare our hearts, and that's why we pray. Pray is that preparing our hearts. It's like a surgeon getting ready to do surgery. You know, I've seen the movies. I don't have ne never, never done a surgery, except for maybe a splinter in my kid's foot. But in the movies, they, but they scrub up. They make sure everything under the fingernails. Dallas probably knows more than anybody. He's got to scrub up every day. You got to scrub up for surgery. Why? Because you want to make sure that nothing gets in there that's not supposed to be in there. You make sure there's no infection going into the area that you're going to do surgery on. You're making sure you're clean and, and, and everything's sanitary. So when you go in, the only thing that, that you're going to deal with is the issue in the, the, the patient. And so our prayer is like the scrubbing up process. It's getting us clean and ready to say, God, remove all the impure motives in my life. God, remove all the anger and resentment or pain or anything that I'm dealing with. Don't let me bring that into the conversation. Let me come into the conversation with a pure heart and a pure mind and let my... Mind, think what you think, God. Let me speak what you want to speak to these people. We have, to, we have to go and approach it right. So when the log's out, that's part of the removing of the plank. Then I can see clearly and I can go and help my brother. So we got to pray. And then once you're prayed up and you feel good and like, okay, I think I'm good to go talk to this person, then you go alone and you point out the offense. It doesn't say go out and point, and, and, and point out the offender. Don't call them out and say, man, this is what you did and this is what. You just point out the offense. Stay on the, stay on the problem. You have to learn to separate the sin from the sinner and the offense from the offender. You know? And I think we have a hard time with that. Like People get mad at, at you for something you did, but really they're mad at what you did. And that needs to be dealt with because you're all created in the image of God. You all have created value. And so we can't afford to be mad at people. We just need to be mad at what they do. And I'll even go one step further, be mad at what the enemy's doing in their life. Because you don't know what's going on in their life. Never assume that you know what's going on in their life. There's a, there's a story out of a book called Seven Habits for Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I don't know if you've ever read that book. If you're in business world, you have to read it, I think. They make you read it. But there's a story in there where Stephen Covey's on this train. Because like I said, you never know what people are going through. You never know the motives of people. So you, you, we can't judge motives. We don't even know our own motives half the time. You know, when you ask your kids, why do you do that? And they say, I don't know. They really don't know. <laughs> I, I do the same thing with my wife. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. So you don't know the motives. And so he's sitting on this train, and this man comes in with these kids, and everybody's so peaceful on the train. They're reading their, their papers and 
you know, just having a good time, trying to get to work. And these kids are raising all kinds of cane. They're raising chaos and they're, they're tearing papers out of people's hands and they're like picking up stuff out of the, you know, picking up purses and dragging all kinds of stuff out. They're just causing havoc. And Stephen's like, what is going on? Why isn't this dad doing something about these kids? And he finally gets to the point where he's had enough and he says, aren't you going to do something about these? Your kids are running wild. And then he says, the man at that point lifted his head as like if first noticing for the first time that there's something going on. And he goes, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about this. You see, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I'm pretty sure they don't know how to handle it either. See, we never know what people are going through. We never know what's going on in their life. We never know what kind of trouble they're in. I want to even take it a step further and say that if somebody is like blatant living in sin or they're blatantly offending people all the time, they're in trouble. They're in trouble, and we should see them as they're in trouble. I need to help them to get them back on the right track. God, what do you want us to do about this? So we need to help them, and we need to know. So you go to that person by themselves. So how does this look like? Well, it looks like this. So you see Bill, and you approach Bill, and you're like, Bill, you know, I, you know, I was driving through town the other day, and I, I was passing by South Main, and I saw your car. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, like, I saw your car, and it was parked outside somewhere we shouldn't be. He's like, well, where's that? He's like, I saw you outside of KFC. And, you know, at first I didn't want to believe it. You know, at first I was like, maybe his car broke down or maybe it's somebody else's car. And then, and then I, I saw you coming out and you had a big bucket of chicken in your hands. <laughs> and I knew that it was you. And so I'm here to confront you about that, to talk to you about that. Say, you know, we're Christians. We don't eat at KFC. We eat only at Chick-fil-A. That's the only place you can go. So that's, I mean, that's humorous, but that's kind of how it looks like. You, you, you deal with the offense. It's like, man, come on. Everybody knows, okay, you know, everybody knows. Everybody knows. You know, if it's Sunday, you just, you fast that day. You don't, you don't eat. You know, this is what's best for you. And then at that point, he may say, okay, you're right. You know, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just really hungry, and I just had to get something to eat, and it was quick. And I knew I shouldn't have been there, and I know, you know, and okay, I'm not going to do that again. Help me. Help me to, would you buy me a Chick-fil-A gift card? You know, will you help me out? <laughs> you know, would you help me out? Or he'd be like, I don't care what you think, man. I'm eating KFC every day. I'm getting greasy fingers. Don't care. Right? <laughs> and then what do you do in that moment? Well, it says the second step, correct relationally you got to bring more people into the fold, people that he trusts, people that he knows. You know, you bring Bill's friends in that care about Bill, people that can speak into his life. The problem is we often bring our own friends into, this, into the mix. We build a case against that person, and then we come in. It's like, ain't that right, Joey? Bill's, Bill's a loser for eating KFC. You know, so we bring our friends in to kind of combat the guy and push the guy down. But that's not the goal. The goal is to lift them up and to encourage them. And so we got to bring people in that know and love that person that they will listen to. Because often, if somebody else says the same thing, they'll, they'll listen. I was in management for a long time, and I know how this works. I'd have one of my employees talking to an angry customer, and he'd tell them all the right things. Like, we can't do that. We, you know, we're not allowed to do this. We, you know, that's, that's all we can do for you. And, uh, and they say, well, let me talk to the manager. So he comes and says, like, man, this guy wants to talk to you. I already told him we can't do this and all that. I was like, okay, I'll talk to him. 
tell them the exact same thing. Yeah, man, we can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. You know, we, this is all we can do for you. And the guy's like, okay, thank you. Walks off. And he was cussing the guy, my, my employee out and getting mad at him. And he's like, I told him all that stuff. I'm like, well, they just needed to hear it from somebody else. He needed some more authority in his life. Somebody that they thought could have the answer. And so sometimes you got to bring people with some, you know, with some pull in there. You got to bring in the wisdom from other people. And you know what? Sometimes those people, then you bring them in, you'll find out that you're wrong. Maybe KFC isn't of the devil. Maybe it's okay to eat there every once in a while. Right? Maybe he was only there because it was Sunday and there's nothing else to eat. But sometimes we're, we got it wrong and we need people to come in and help us. And then if that doesn't work, he's still like, no, I don't care. You, you have to correct corporately. What does this look like? This is, Jesus said, bring them to the church. So what does that look like? We get Bill, we bring him up on a Sunday morning and say, this is Bill. I caught him at KFC. He had a bucket of chicken. I saw it. Look, his fingers still have grease on them. Shh, get him out of the church. Kick him out of here. Get him out. No, that's not what it looks like. But what happens is we bring, this is, this is what it'll look like here. You would bring that person that you've already talked to, and you'd bring those people that already had that conversation with them, and you'd bring them to us and the elder team and the leadership, and we'd sit down with them, and we'd show them scripture. And we would share with them. We'd love on them and tell them, look, God has created you for more. You've been, you know, you have more in you. God has more for you. This is the correct path to go. I pray that you choose it, that you, that you walk in the way that God wants you to walk, and that you forgive your brother, that you, you know, take care of these things, that you get back on the right track. That's what it's about. And we've never had to do that as a church, and I pray we never, it never comes to that point. But if it does, Jesus tells us this is how we do it. And then if he's like, okay, that's great, I'm going to repent, I forget, you know, I'm sorry, that's it. You drop it and you leave it, and you love that person. You don't shun them. But if they don't, what do you do? He says this, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. What does that mean? Does it mean you like just kick them out, never talk to them again, leave, you know, hate them, discourage them? He's saying it's no. Jesus sat with pagans. Jesus taught pagans. Jesus sat with tax collectors. What, what do you mean? You have to understand where they're at. Where are they? Like, where, where are they at in their faith life? Maybe they're not believers. Maybe they, they thought they were believers, but they're really not by their actions, their attitudes, how they're discipled. They have no idea who Jesus is. And then you have to go back to the very beginning and start teaching them the benefit, the, and trying to get them saved and trying to help them understand the gospel. Maybe they're not saved. Maybe they don't even know they're not saved. They think they are, but their life's just so, totally out of whack. And so you treat them that way. You say, sorry, I'm coming back to the square one with you. You're not allowed to have influence anymore in the church. You're not allowed to have influence in my life anymore. It doesn't mean you can't be friends. It just means they can't be influence in your life. And this is a hard thing. So what's that mean here? It's like, man, if somebody does something horrible and they're not going to repent, they're just like, I don't care, and they're causing disruption and all this stuff. It's like, look, look you can come to church. We love you, but I'm not going to let you serve. I'm not going to let you be on leadership because you have influence. And a little bit of that, what you're dealing with or what you're carrying or what you're, what you're living in is going to carry over into everything else. And so we have to, as people of God, keep ourselves pure and keep ourselves clean. And that is a very, very sad day when that happens. And it's very, very, uh, would be very, very difficult for us if we ever to do that. Like I said, never had to do that. 
but it has happened. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for time's sake, but I'm going to give you a breakdown of what happened. So in chapter 5, if you ever get home and read it, it's a great, fascinating story. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's like, you guys, straighten up. It's like, you got the gospel. You're not living up to what God's created you to be. What's going on? He's like, there's a man in your midst. He's like, in the church. He's serving in the church. And he's sleeping with his mother-in-law or his stepmother. You know, we don't know the whole ins and outs, but we know that he's sleeping with his stepmom. And, and he said, Paul goes on to say, and you seem proud about it, like you're boasting about it. He's saying, come on, this is bad. This is gross. He's like, even the Romans think that's bad. Like it was illegal back then for that to happen. He's saying, this, is, this has to be removed. This has got to be dealt with. You can't keep putting it off. And so he tells them, I'm with you in spirit. You got to deal with this guy. He's, he's causing problems in the church. If you don't deal with this, it's going to spread and it's going to disrupt everything in the church. And so they end up kicking the guy out. Paul, even in his letter to Corinthians, uh, in, in chapter five, he says, he says, send him out, kick him out, and basically let the devil do whatever he wants to to him. That's harsh. What do you mean turn him over to the devil? What is that? <laughs> I'm going to turn you over to the devil. Meaning he's saying he's like, he's no longer under the protection of the church and, and protection of God's people, and the enemy is going to do what he wants to do and hopes that he will see the folly in his life and realize what he's lost. And then he'll come back to the faith, repent, and get back to where God wants him to be. And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes so many of us are helping people in their dysfunction, and they never learn to grow out of that. They're never called up because we're always helping them and empowering them to do what is bad for them. Sometimes you got to let go and say, you got to face the consequences of your actions. And until you face those consequences, that's the only thing that you're going to listen to. Because there's two kinds of people we deal with when you correct them. There's wise people and there's foolish people. The scripture very plainly talks about this. In Proverbs, he says, you correct a wise person and he'll thank you for it. You correct a foolish person and he'll hate you for it. And so there's two kinds of people we're dealing with. And so he may be a fool and he may have to face the consequences of his actions to turn in hopes that he will turn. And that's what in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 5, he says, turn him over to Satan so that his soul will be saved. His body may be punished, but his soul will be saved. And so we see in 2 Corinthians, maybe this is the guy, we don't know. A lot of theologians think this is the same guy that was sleeping with his stepmom and that he was restored. And we're going to read that story. So Paul is writing back to the church. They've done everything they're supposed to do. They're getting right, right back on track on the right course. And he says this, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Like you kicked him out of the church. You have no, you know, you don't have fellowship with him. He doesn't have an influence in your life. But now he is coming and repented. Now, however, since he's repented, it's time to forgive and comfort him. So what do we do? You got to forgive and you got to comfort. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. You, you know those people like, I forgive you, you can come to church. But, like, nobody comforts them. Nobody loves them. Nobody just, and they're discouraged. They sit in church and, like, man, I don't belong here. I feel like I don't belong here. Like you shun, you got the scarlet letter, right? That shouldn't be. If, if, they're, if they repent and, and they come back to faith, man, bring them back in. Like, say, I love you. I, I affirm you. I, I tr you know, we love you. We're going to help you through this. We're going to help you grow through this. Affirm them. 
He says, I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. See, we have a responsibility to forgive. We have a responsibility to comfort. And so many of us, I think, have put off conflict because we don't know how to deal with it. And it's robbing your peace. But I'm telling you, you've got to deal with the conflict. And you have to deal with it biblically, like, like Scripture's saying here. So you go to the person, right, by yourself. If that doesn't work, you bring other people in. If that doesn't work, you go to some leadership, some higher authority. If that doesn't work, then you just say, well, I'm not work- I guess we're not going to figure this out. Good luck. I'm praying for you. I love you. And I'm going to forgive you. But you can't have influence in my life. And we have to deal with those things. But the other question I have for you today is this. Are you correctable? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I saw you eating KFC the other day. What's that about? How are you correctable? Do you allow yourself to be corrected? I love King David because he writes about this. In one of his Psalms, he said, blessed is, he's like, he's like, please strike me. I'm really paraphrasing this passage. He goes, he goes strike my face, please, because it's good for me. Right? I, I don't want to reject the, 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 the strikes of a friend. If a friend corrects you, it's like, come on, what are you doing? It's because he loves you. He said, I don't want to reject that. And the story is that King David, he wasn't the greatest guy all the time. He made mistakes and he sinned all the time. And, and really, if, if you look at him as the moral compass for what Christians look like, it's not very good. And so David, what he did is, if you know the story, if you've grown up in church at all, he, he sins against God and he sins against his, his, his friend by sleeping with his wife. He brings Bathsheba over, sees her bathing. He's like, oh, that looks good. Bring her over. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. <gasps> what do I do now? So I know I'll have her husband out in the fields and we'll kill him in battle. So he murders his, <laughs> her husband. He takes her as his wife and he thinks he gets away with it, right? He's like, I'm good. It's all covered up. And then Nathan the prophet comes in one day and he tells this story to David. He's like, hey, David, since you're a shepherd, I'm going to tell you the story about this little sheep. There's this sweet little cute sheep, and this one man only had this one sheep, and he loved it so much, and he took care of it. But there was another man who had lots and lots of sheep, but he wanted that sheep. And so what he did is he walked over, he stole that sheep, and then he killed the the shepherd, and he kept it for himself. David gets furiated. He's like, oh, my gosh, where is the shepherd? I'm going to go kill him and bring justice right now. We're going to deal with this. And Nathan says, David, you're the man. David, you're the man. You're the one that did this. And David, at that point, what's he do? He doesn't get mad. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't make excuses. He repents. He falls to the ground, tears his clothes. He says, what have I done? I've sinned against God. I've sinned against people. And so can we get to that point where somebody corrects us? We're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I need to repent. I need to change my mind and do things differently. See, the danger we have and the, the reason we're not correctable is because we often do not yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we, we somehow convince ourselves that God is okay with my half-hearted devotion or my sinful lifestyle. Like, he's, he's good because, you know what, I've been doing this for a long time. Nothing bad's ever happened to me. And so God must think it's okay. Like, I seem to be doing okay. But I want to tell you, listen to me, I want to tell you this. Let's not confuse his loving kindness for his acceptance. Let's never confuse 
because he's love and he's kind for his acceptance. He will deal with these things. And let's never confuse his patience for his tolerance. Just because you haven't faced anything because the consequences of it yet doesn't mean that there's not consequences. You know, I hate to, this is hard for me to say, but it's truth. There is a hell and God is the judge. And those that do not not know him will basically throw themselves in there because they don't want anything to do with them. And the the truth is, is he's going to judge. And and what are we going to do at that moment? He's giving us every opportunity to change. He's sending people in your life to correct you. He's sending people in your life. I love that song, the reckless love of God. He's recklessly pursuing you, wanting you, trying to cheap you from jumping over that cliff into the pit. He's saying, I have so much for you. Come to me. I want to come to you, change your life, move you into who I am. Look, I have so much more for you. And Jesus proved this by coming down himself. He followed the blueprint. He came by himself and he talked to us. He showed us the way. He confronted sin and he dealt with it. Jesus is the example. And so I know this is a hard message today, but I pray that we all, as his church, learn to deal with these things biblically and right. And, I'm, I'm, and this message wasn't pointed saying we're having this problem in this church. We're not. Please don't even hope you weren't looking at your neighbor and going, man, is that you? Is that me? What's going on? It's not. But if we're truly going to be better together, we have to deal with these things proactively. We have to know when these things come up, how do we deal with them? How do we keep unity in the church? Because as long as this church is unified, it's powerful. As long as this this church stays connected and pure, it's powerful. We have the responsibility for one another. We are really our brother's keeper. That's why God created the church, to keep us all going in the same direction and on course. Amen. Amen. So I want to pray, and I want to have the worship team come up, and then also the prayer team. And we have a couple of baptisms as well. So if they want to go and get ready um, while we do that. But this is what I want to do. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to end this way. Maybe there's something in your life that God's been convicting you of. And people have been telling you. And you haven't really received it well. And, and they keep telling you, look, man, this is not God's best for you. You... God wants you to live better than this. They're calling you up, but for whatever reason, you're not going there. I pray that today that you allow the Holy Spirit to correct you, that today is that course correction in your life that sets you on the right path and gets you to where God wants you to be. And for some of you, maybe there's some conflict in your family and you got to deal with it and you're not sure how to deal with it. I pray that you ask the Lord to give you strength to deal with it. Maybe some of you have something against somebody in the church. Ask God to give you strength to deal with it and deal with it the way that Jesus said. Go to them in private. If they don't listen, take some friends of theirs. If they don't listen, then get some higher authority in it. That's the the model. That's what we want to do. And I pray that you do it. Amen. So as they play, I just want to open up the altars and and also invite you. If you need prayer for anything at all, please come. You need healing. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, maybe this message is, I don't know if I know Jesus. Come 
Come pray with one of these people. They're going to help and lead you in that. They love you enough to do that. They love you enough to bring you up, to call you up. And so let them do that today. Don't, don't listen to the enemy saying, don't go up there. There's no reason to go up there. Go up there and let these people pray with you and strengthen you. Amen. So, Father, I thank you so much for this message. I thank you for these people. God, I pray that you would draw everyone up that needs prayer right now. Holy Spirit, you have your way. You draw them up in Jesus' name. Amen.